You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Currently, 12 states have passed laws allowing use of cannabis for medical purposes. Although despite these laws, the DEA continues to arrest and prosecute patients using cannabis for medical reasons. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Bruce Doblin, an internist from Chicago, Illinois, and vice president of Ideal Reform, an organization working towards legislation that would allow patients access to cannabis for medical purposes. Dr. Doblin, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Susan. Describe the federal government's position on medical cannabis. With decades of research showing the benefit of medical cannabis, it's shocking, actually, to look at the government's continued obstruction. In the 1970s, the government started to classify medications, and the most restrictive class is Schedule I drugs. And those are drugs that the federal government says have, one, no medicinal value, and two, high potential for abuse. And those are medications that are out of the reach of physicians and patients because of that. Now, marijuana was grouped as a Schedule I medication, and since then, efforts have been going on to change that to Schedule II, which would allow research and use by physicians in uh, restricted ways. So this is why the states are passing their own laws? You know, the states have actually really waited and waited since the 1970s. In 1970, when the U.S. government classified marijuana as Schedule I, there was an immediate petition that was filed to change it to Schedule II. They actually sued the DEA, and the request was ignored. Further suit then, four years later, by an administrative DE judge ruled in favor of the rescheduling. The DEA ignored that again, since these rulings are only um, suggestive. They're not legally binding. In 1988, again, the DEA was sued, and at that time, a second DEA judge, Francis Young, held, and, and I'll read, the provisions of the permit require the transfer of marijuana from Schedule One to Schedule Two. He goes on to say it would be unreasonable, arbitrary, and capricious for the DEA to continue to stand between those sufferers and the benefits of this substance in light of the evidence. That was still, uh, to this day, uh, that recommendation has been ignored. So what we've done is we've found state after state taking up this issue and passing laws. Just like you said, 12 states have now passed ways to decriminalize cannabis for medical use. And what's interesting is that 25 states considered a bill to decriminalize cannabis in in the 2005-2006 legislative session. Is it true that 35 states plus the District of Columbia have passed legislation recognizing the medicinal value? That's where politicians (laughs) master, you know, the art of uh, politics and saying things that don't have meaning. Because it is true that uh, usually starting in the 1970s, 35 states did pass rules and and, uh, legislation documenting the known benefits of medical cannabis. And what they did is they asked their state departments, usually, you know, Department of Health and Human Services, to create a program to allow access to patients that couldn't find benefits from traditional treatments. And what happened, which is what happened in Illinois, is the state never wrote the rules for that program. So while the books in Illinois say there is a value to patients and citizens of the state from the use of medical cannabis, there isn't a way to legally gain access to it. So they've kind of played that game. Without passing another law. Without passing law and without really writing the rules and regulations that would set up a program that that we all felt comfortable with. How do the state laws work? All of the states, their approaches are slightly different, but there are just a small number of issues that you really need to do. And 
all of the states really look at this issue from a medical perspective. You know, this is not a decriminalization opportunity. This is really a use of a medicine. So the first issue is how do you define the patients that could benefit from medical cannabis? And the conditions that, that are known to benefit are fairly well known. And most states require that a patient get the certification of a physician. The second step is that that person goes through some registration process. So they register with the state. And if they're ever found with a small amount of cannabis that they're using for themselves, the law enforcement officials know not to arrest and prosecute them. And then the third, more complicated issue is how do these people get access to a medication that's illegal? And what most states have done is they've allowed people to grow a small amount. In Illinois, I think it's 12 plants for their own use. Or if you can't do that, you can certify somebody to grow for you. And then there's a process where that person has to register with the state. They have to have no criminal record. But those are the three areas. Who can benefit? How do they register with the state to avoid prosecution and incarceration? And then where do they get that marijuana? What is the AMA's position? You know, the AMA passed resolutions years ago calling for more research, which is an understandable position. But I think what most physicians, uh, certainly physicians in the AMA, don't understand is that the federal system to look at that research and generate the answers to those questions really has stymied that effort. And I don't think they understand that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Bruce Doblin discussing medical cannabis. Dr. Doblin, how do you respond to skeptics who say patients are not getting any real benefit from the cannabis? You know, I'd ask them to look at the research, which is really, I think it's overwhelming. And the federal government, when it reviewed the research itself at the request of the White House, they came to the same conclusion. The White House in 1999 Institute asked the Institute of Medicine to look at all the accumulated data. And their conclusion was that there's a potential therapeutic value that they thought was real and had already been shown by the current research. The other thing that's interesting is that the Institute of Medicine knew that in order to get the benefits of this drug to the public, we needed to allow private companies to do research. And, you know, that's also not an open avenue to pharmaceutical companies or people interested in doing the research now. What public support is there for using cannabis for medical purposes? Most of the states that have passed medical cannabis laws did it on a referendum basis, starting in California, which is kind of known for their statewide referendum. So what we know is that between 65 and 75 percent of Almost all the states who have laws now, that's the level of support for medical marijuana. And while you asked me about the AMA's support, and they have not yet supported the use of medical cannabis, the American Nursing Association and the American Bar Association and the American Public Health Association and the American Academy of HIV Medicine and the American Academy of Family Physicians all support the use of medical cannabis, along with the New England Journal of Medicine and actually the Episcopal Church has taken a position. So... There really is widespread support for the use of medical cannabis. What is the status of the Illinois legislation that you've been working on? We've been working for a number of years here in Illinois to uh, get passage in the House, and we nearly got it out of committee two years ago, and, and we were very close to getting passage in the Senate this year, but we really haven't been able to uh, bring to bear, I think, the large amount of public support that's there for medical cannabis on the legislators in the, in the Capitol in downstate Illinois. 
we're optimistic that we will be able to make this a law in the next couple of years. And we think Illinois actually is a crucial state. Most of the states that have passed medical marijuana laws are on the coast. And I think that's why even the Bush White House put a lot of pressure on legislators to um, avoid passage of a medical marijuana bill a couple of years ago. But we really think that the next couple of years, we will get passage. What do you hear behind closed doors when you talk to the legislators? You know, they're getting pressure. They're getting calls from Washington. They're getting calls from uh, the drugs are. There's just a lot of fear and I, I hate to say this, but I think ignorance on the part of many of the high-level Republican officials or just politicians in the federal bureaucracy. I think that the evidence is there and they're really unwilling to look at it. How do you respond to the Illinois senator who said, I would have loved to have helped people out there, but there's got to be a medication that can help? This is one of the spins of the people that really oppose the medical cannabis laws. They'll tell legislators that there's a pill out there and it's very effective. And what we know is that this pill called Marinol is it's the extraction of a single active component, which is THC. And unfortunately, it's only been proven to be effective for one specific condition, and that's appetite stimulation. And, you know, if you look at the science behind that, it's probably because Oral medication is metabolized by the liver, which reduces its efficacy. The other thing is that we have real clear evidence that inhaled cannabis crosses the blood-brain barrier. And that probably explains why it's effective reducing ocular pressure for glycoma patients, why it's effective for chemotherapy-related nausea, and probably why it's effective for so many neuromuscular disorders like MS and Parkinson's disease that have centrally mediated causes. So, yes, it's true there is a medication, but study after study after study shows it's, it has a fraction of the efficacy of the medication and really a very limited range of, of proven benefits. Give us highlights of the latest studies. What's really interesting in the last 10 years is we found that our bodies have receptors in almost every major organ system for uh, cannabinoids. And people are now beginning to talk about an endocannabinoid system, which really proves to many early researchers that we probably produce something similar to the cannabinoid molecules ourselves. We found that endorphins were natural occurring opiates, and that surprised people. We're probably finding the same thing when we look at cannabinoids, and I think that explains why they're effective for such a wide range of conditions in a wide range of patients. And what that also means is that the benefit of exploring medical cannabis is, is really unlimited. How do you think this issue is going to be resolved? Most of us have given up on enlightened federal review of the data regarding current research. And we are moving more and more to look at states passing laws. And we think that that's really a crucial way because the real issue is how do you get cannabis to patients that are suffering now and allow them to use it without the fear of arrest? And 99% of arrests are at the state and local level. So when a state passes a medical cannabis law and allows a small number of patients to use medical cannabis legally, it is a phenomenal relief to these patients and their families. The state and local law enforcement officials understand that the social and the political and the economic costs are really unwarranted in trying to get these patients through the legal system. And so it does relieve a huge burden. But as you've said, the federal government now is still going into states that have passed their own medical marijuana laws and using the federal arm of the DEA to arrest patients and people who grow cannabis for those patients. So there still is a bind even in states that have passed their own laws, but the majority of patients, the majority 
of users understand that it's still a significant shield from prosecution and incarceration. How do you respond to those who say use of medical cannabis can cause people to use more dangerous drugs? You know, I think that's kind of the oldest story that we've heard from the federal government, that marijuana is a gateway drug and that when kids start using marijuana, they move on to stronger, more dangerous or addictive drugs. And anybody that's looked at the data really understands that's not really true. It doesn't lead to the use of cocaine or heroin. It's just really a major fallacy behind the drug war. It's interesting that in many states that have passed laws allowing medical cannabis use, use amongst teenagers has actually gone down. And, you know, I think the conclusion is that use among teenagers of drugs is really independent of the medical use of cannabis in those states. You know, the data just doesn't support that this is going to be a widespread avalanche of cannabis users. Dr. Doblin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Susan. I'm Susan Dolan, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.